Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out the radio version of the show every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on WDJY 99.1 in Atlanta. We also air on a podcasting network in Los Angeles called the 405 Media. There's a TV version of the show that airs on KMVT 15 in Silicon Valley at 8 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday nights. Both versions of the show air in other states. For these show times plus past episodes, please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Scott Park. He's the Chief Revenue Officer and Co-Founder at TAP. Scott, welcome to the show. Great. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think, you know, your background and kind of what you're currently doing... For me, anyway, I, I found really kind of fascinating and I, I think is really actually kind of innovative in the advertising kind of space. But maybe before we get into all that fun stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a Los Angeles native, born and okay. raised. Um, I haven't uh, been here, you know, too 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 much because I travel quite a bit. Uh, spent some time in Vietnam, spent some time in Korea. Oh, wow. But um, mainly in the U.S., uh, here in Los Angeles. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so yeah. you went to university. What did you end up taking in university and why did you decide to take it? Uh, you know, I, I started off doing a lot of different things. You know, being a young guy, you try to figure out where to go. Sure. Um, try to dabble a little bit in like, you know, the film world and then finally just took up uh, management because I felt like it was a pretty good overall encompassing type of, uh, you know, field. Okay. Um, spent some time, yeah, spent some time at uh, Cal State Northridge. Um, okay. Actually went to University of Wisconsin for a little bit. Decided that the cold weather wasn't for me, and came back and uh, finished <laughs> up here. Okay, interesting. So you you graduate. What did you kind of end up doing after school? Like you've done a ton of stuff. So maybe kind of quickly walk us through that, and maybe some of your career highlights at some of the different companies you worked at. Sure. Yeah. So um, I did a lot of consulting when I was a little bit younger. Uh, did some real estate development, in fact, and. When that market took a nosedive in the 90s, I, I figured it'd be good to get into something I really enjoyed, which was gaming at the time. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, I joined a uh, Korean gaming company called Endors. I uh, did their you know business development and their monetization and, and some of the marketing there. And that's where I really got a feel for, you know, I guess the digital advertising space, as you call it. Sure. Um, dealing with offer walls back in the day. And yeah, I remember those days, monetize, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, monetize those users. And back then, there was only a few. And, um, you know, I just thought it was really interesting to see that, you know, literally, you turn on this offer wall, and it just generates, you know, 20% of your total revenue. And I thought that was pretty amazing. I got into it that way. Interesting. Okay. So... Walk me through kind of a few other things up until kind of tab, and, and then we'll talk, we'll get into that. Sure. So after spending some time at Endors, I, as I mentioned, I, I found a real interest in the app, digital advertising space for monetization, and I joined a company called Sponsor Pay, okay. uh, which is now called Fiber. Okay, um, sure. I was probably one of the early on uh, members, number two in the U.S. here, um, and I was an account manager, but also doing business development at the same time. Um, during that time, you know, it was still relatively web. Mobile was really, really new. Um, you know, feature phones were really, really new as well. And so um, during that time, we, a couple of uh, some of the veterans at SponsorPay decided to kind of build out 
or I helped build out the mobile platform. Okay, interesting. Um, bringing some really big clients to the table, uh, predominantly like uh, now they're big, but come to us in Gameville. Um, also, the Korean um, uh, Creative Contest Association was really interested in doing something in the U.S., so they brought that on, on board as well. And then from sponsor pay, it just kind of flurried from there because of mobile. Um, joined Game Genetics, which is a, another German company, and started working with them a little bit. Um, but also spent some time with a Korean game, uh, advertising company called App Disco. Okay. Um, I was an MD here in the U.S. Um, unfortunately, things went the wrong way with uh, some investments that I took on, and, and that had to fold. Um, but, you know, it was a good learning experience. Yeah, I, I think in some cases when, when a company kind of shuts down, you almost learn more from kind of the failures than sometimes the successes. Yeah, yeah. It was a painful experience. I remember sure, that. Um, sure. You know, just being nearly married, trying to get through things, it was, it was a very painful experience. But, you know, I realized that it kind of made me reassess, you know, where I wanted to be, where I wanted to go, the companies I wanted to work for. So that was good. Um, and after that, you know, as I mentioned, I joined Games and X, was an MD here for a little bit. Unfortunately, that company actually had the same uh, problem because uh, technology-wise, they, they, you know, they were a little bit behind a great team, great CEO, great staff. It just, you know, it, it's the timing was uh, wrong for them. They just sure. got in the market a little bit late. Okay, interesting. And then finally, I did some. I went back to the user acquisitions gaming space, and I worked um, as the VP of user acquisitions for a very large Korean gaming company called NHN. Okay. Um, a lot of people don't know who they are, but you know, their claim to fame, or originally they're part of uh, Naver, which is Korea's largest search portal engine. Oh wow. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, people always try to hit me up with, uh, you know, basically trying to work with us on, on various, you know, gaming UA spends. Um, I think we spend quite a bit of money um, globally. And uh, I had a team about, I think I had a team about eight at the time, but we controlled all the budgets for all the game launches, launching like three games a month. It was, it was wow. intense. That, that's insane, yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty intense for, it was very intense for about a, a year where we just, was just launching everything we could get out there. And um, um, it, it also good a learning experience as well. Um, and then, you know, I decided, okay, well, if I stay in this space, will I enjoy myself? Uh, where, where, where was I the, the happiest? At uh, what point was I the happiest? Sure. And I decided, okay, you know, I reached out to Mateus. Mateus reached out to me. We, we both, you know, met and uh, Mateus is the co-founder uh, and the founder of Tab. Right. Um, we got together and just said, hey, you know, there's this new venture. Let's start it. I jumped on board, so let's go. And uh, it was all history from there. Sure. So I'm curious, though, how did the idea of Tab kind of come to be? And, and how did you guys decide to kind of actually go for it one day? Well, it was actually accommodated by, you know, I guess it put together by, um, by Mateus um, to start off with. And it, the team was relatively new. Okay. Um, he knew that he needed some presence in the U S because, you know, it's such a large market Sure. Uh, being a Berlin based company. Um, gotcha. he, you know, we kept in contact. He pretty much, you know, throughout the, you know, throughout the idea, I, I bit, he was excited about it. And next thing you know, we just said, okay, we got, we, we need really to, um, get on a, a good foot first. Otherwise we're going to feel like all the other companies. And, um, we got very, very lucky. Um, taking on some very large Korean clients that I had done in the past. Okay. And uh, it just went gangbusters from there. Interesting. So I, I, I want to maybe get into that um, in, a, in a couple of minutes. But for people that haven't heard of TAB, what exactly do you guys do? 
Okay. Well, Tab is, you know, the simplest form is an agency, advertising agency. Okay. Um, but we have quite a bit of uh, technology, um, know-how and knowledge behind it. We have a, a strong media buying team uh, that's internal. We have uh, a technology that's a DSP that we've built from the ground up that we're currently utilizing internally only. Um, and, you know, we mainly do performance marketing, uh, driving app installs, uh, driving, you know, cost per actions, uh, mostly in the mobile space. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So you mentioned some of your kind of first clients were, were connections. Did you kind of just email them? Did you cold call them a little bit of both? Like, I'm always kind of curious how people go back to out their kind of past relationships and try to monetize and actually get them as clients on something they're, they're working on currently. Sure, sure. So a lot of begging was involved. I can tell you that. No, that that's good advice, man. <laughs> a lot of begging, a lot of uh, trying to booster, you know, the relationship, and you know, saying, "Give us a shot, give us a shot." And you know, we were lucky. You know, we had I had strong enough relationships where, you know, they would give us some budget just to test us out and be patient with us. And, okay, so you did charge you know, them at the beginning when they first got on. Yeah, yeah. We so performance-based marketing is is you know we just they commit a uh, commit a budget. Um, okay. We try to spend it as as evenly and as you know quickly as possible with the the best quality intentions. Yeah. Um. So, you know, we we got lucky. We we did pretty well. Um, okay. You know, mind you, we did have some hiccups along the way, but we did well, and they liked us, and they continued, you know, giving us new IOs for budgets, and that kind of drove the excitement for the company forward. Interesting. No, I, I think that's that's really good advice. So how does for somebody that that's maybe never heard of kind of, you know, how you guys target and stuff like that. And I, I don't really want necessarily like how you guys do it, like, but from a, a perspective of like somebody that's maybe never tried this kind of marketing or advertising mm -hmm. in this space, like how do they kind of set up an account and then kind of walk us through kind of how they use the platform and, and kind of start seeing some results. Sure, sure. So, you know, mainly we're a managed service. We, we you kind of leave it up to us to deliver the results that you want. Okay. Um, when we do start, we do start off. We ask quite a bit of questions. We ask about um, what are important to these uh, UA market buyers or these you know these professionals. Um, they're asking about KP, you know certain key performance indexes. Right. Um, Mainly in the gaming or the mobile advertising space, it's like retention is a, is a critical thing. Sure. Day one retention, day three retention. Uh, return on ad spends are very important. Um, setting certain goals for us to um, achieve are very important. So all those things are collected. Okay. Uh, once it's collected, we, we you know use our platform internally to look out certain sources that we think might work okay. uh, based on you know collecting some data from them. And then we go from there and... We fine tune it as we go along. Um, sometimes it's faster than uh, you know other times, but sure. uh, we like to think that we do a pretty good job within the first forty-eight hours. Otherwise, okay. they would probably stop it and stop paying us. No, that's fair. So, how long traditionally does a campaign kind of last for? Like you said, forty-eight hours, but is it like do people usually run them for weeks, months, or does it kind of really depend? Yeah, it really depends. Okay. Um, some of our branding partners, um, our advertisers, they have specific start dates and stop dates. So okay. it can be over a summer, it could be a, a couple of weeks, where some of our other partners, like on the gaming side, where they're continually spending to keep their, uh, I guess, their ecosystem going, um, 
the budget almost never ends if they're happy with the quality. Um, one of our partners have been running with us for over, I would say, two years now, and they continue to spend at a pretty even rate. Okay, interesting. So for people that are actually you know, looking to kind of advertise with Tab, how do they kind of sign up for an account? Like, do they just reach out to you or how does this kind of work? Yeah, they can just reach out to us. Um, they can go on our website. There's a, a button that says, you know, you're, if you're an advertiser or affiliate and okay. you just sign on, read through the terms and conditions. Um, we usually look through uh, the process and who the person is um, and see if they're legitimate, what they're about, collect some information. And then we uh, have one of our, our account managers service or manage that partner. Okay. No. Okay. That's interesting. And then mm -hmm. how, if people are looking to kind of monetize, how do you guys kind of help them with that? Sure. So we have a smart link solution, which is based upon a HTML fiber JS feed that um, partners can integrate okay. a very light integration where we can show um, banners or video to help, you know, publishers monetize their traffic. Okay. Um, typically, it's, you know, broken down. Most publishers are really, you know, concerned about their eCPM value. Right. Um, sometimes we'll guarantee the eCPM. Sometimes we won't. But uh, usually they're pretty happy with, you know, what we give them in the fill rates. Okay. Interesting. No, that's that's actually quite fascinating. So I'm curious though, <clears throat> kind of, how does the like? Obviously, I don't really necessarily want to know like trade secret type stuff. But you guys obviously had to build a bunch of kind of technology around this. So do they mm -hmm. kind of have like a dashboard that they can log into to kind of check and, and check in on their campaigns or do you guys kind of send them sure. updates or how does that kind of work? So we do all the above. Um, they have dashboard access to our platform so they can see how they're performing. Okay. Um, but a lot of times the managed service, you know, we, we have account managers that are great that help kind of identify certain, you know, trends or transactions or whatnot to help optimize. A lot okay. of times, some advertisers won't even know what they're they're seeing in terms of data. So we kind of guide them that way. For example, if we think a performance is going uh, better on one you know placement than another, we'll suggest, hey, why don't we buy more on this placement and kind of cut off these sources so you get better quality. Right. Or if we know that they want to scale, we'll just you know tell them, hey, this has got a lot more scale and but you know less quality. But since scaling is your choice. How about we kind of loosen up on these KPIs to kind of excel that that um, that trajectory? Okay. So it, it, it's a little bit of both, and you know, obviously, technology takes place as well. We uh, it it auto optimizes uh, initially, and uh, after that, it's all semi-manual. Okay. No, that's interesting, and I, I think the thing that at least um, in in kind of the other maybe like some people that are also kind of in this space is you have like kind of real people, right? Actually kind of monitoring this where I think some of your competitors are, are just kind of all automated and it's up to like me to watch my own stuff. And to be fair, like sometimes either those people don't have the time or know how, or maybe they don't even really necessarily care. And I don't mean that in the negative way. It's just like they want, they want like a physical person to actually kind of monitor what's happening because they're spending money, right? Like, and they, they want to kind of check in 24, 48 and a couple days or maybe weeks later. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on more than being an ad tech company or agency. We're a relationship company okay. and we're, we're aware that, you know, there's a lot of partners out there that can do the same job we can. Uh, but we like to think that 
the care that we put into our clientele and the importance that we put on the clientele um, kind of kind of sets us apart. Um, where we'll, you know, we optimize, you know, almost on a daily, probably on a daily basis, uh, multiple times with multiple partners. We look at the data for them. We try to make suggestions, and more than just turning on the technology and going, we kind of try to forecast um, how the the campaign is going to go. Okay. And I think that's really important because, you know, one one thing I tell a lot of the people and kind of our part of our sales pitch is everybody in our company is a, you know, media buyer, is a UA, um, you know, person. Um, we do the same ideas and concepts that these UA people do. And uh, we actually have that strong technology and BI system behind us. Okay, interesting. So you mentioned kind of early on in the show that you guys kind of have a Berlin office and an LA office, correct? That's correct. So we have about four offices now. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, we've, we've grown pretty quickly in about a year. No, that's I'm great, pretty, man. pretty happy about that. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we have our headquarters in Berlin um, and okay. our LA office here in Santa Monica. We pretty much la- launched the Berlin office and Santa Monica office pretty close together, I, I would say months apart. Okay. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, we, we knew that there was a need for um, some presence in the U.S. Sure. And then immediately afterwards, we saw a lot of traction in, in India. Um, so we opened an office in Bangalore. Okay. Um, and that uh, kind of serviced that market, uh, still a good emerging market. Sure. And then recently we opened our Korea office um, wow. and we're building out the team there as we speak right now. And that's in Seoul. Okay, very cool. So why, obviously, like you wanted a presence in the U.S. and you kind of touched on it. But just for to kind of reiterate, like why did you decide to put offices in these places? Like you wanted to have physical people that could actually go to client offices or, or what was the rationale behind kind of actually doing that? Well, that was that was the main key factor was, you know, having a presence there in the time zone was really key, important. Right. Um, but also, you know, we think it's really important to have some front facing interaction. I mean, right. people are hidden behind, you know, their inboxes they are hidden behind Skype all the time. But, you know, that interaction is really important. Just having you know a simple cup of coffee can change the way a client looks at you or the way that they feel their trust is in you. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, sure. But, you know, mainly having the presence there to kind of expand and grow as a key point from that region was was our main focal point. Sure. And and we talked about this kind of before we recorded. Like, I think nothing will beat kind of ever in-person kind of time, right? And I think we kind of talked about it before about kind of, you know, where the industry is going. And I think in in a lot of cases, just having offices where people can physically meet up is, is actually kind of making you guys kind of t- at the top of kind of this industry, right? Because in, in a lot of cases, the advertising industry has kind of gone through some ups and downs, I would say, probably in the last decade or so, or if not more. Do, do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, there's a, a lot of the companies nowadays are pretty global. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of uh, guys out of you know San Francisco or Israel or... Um, even Asia, they have multiple offices in certain locations. Okay. Um, so they, they do have the presence there. Um, they're probably just one-off salespeople or an account manager. They all have the same kind of concept that we do. Um, however, I think, you know, what we have that's different is we have people that are physically on the ground literally going to offices all the time, not just right. being in the time zone in the office and, and just asking questions. We literally make it a point to go 
and talk to them and always talk to them when there's a, a campaign that needs to be kicked off. Uh, we take a lot of pride in that. And I think, you know, it's something that the industry is doing right now. And I, I'm really happy that they're doing it. It just makes our job easier now. No, I, I 100% agree. And so I, I'm curious, though, to kind of get your thoughts on the industry, because I think nowadays we can bring a lot more kind of technology and almost like instant um, stats and, and kind of, you know, you can pivot almost instantly. But what are your thoughts on kind of the industry right now? Yeah, that's interesting. You should ask. Um, the industry is changing quite a bit. I mean, from when I started at uh, my sponsor pay days, it was very wild, wild west. There was like okay. no regulation. People were just shooting from the hip, you know, and the whole concept of UA was taken from the website of things and trying to be transposed on the mobile side of things, which was very, you know, dangerous. Um, sure. But I think nowadays there's a convergence of a lot of key players like the Facebooks, the Googles are coming together, owning the full stack and really setting a lot of transparency for um, the marketers out there that control these budgets. Um, that is probably leading the way for a lot of change and shakeup, um, being that, you know, people want transparency. People want to know what they're buying. I, and, and I agree where I believe that, you know, I've read some article where they said out of the whole mobile, mobile advertising industry, you know, 50 to 60% account for fraud. Wow. And that's pretty, that's pretty scary when you think about that for every dollar you spend, 60% is just wasted. Yeah. Wow. Um, I didn't realize it was yeah. that high, actually. Yeah, you know, it's it could be just someone that said that, but, you know, there's a lot of fraud going around. Um, you know, just recently I, I read about, uh, I think, Lodemy, which is a very large data provider that, you know, identified, like, a lot of their traffic or a lot of their data was from bots. Okay, interesting. And if a big data player like that um, can admit to that, I mean you have to assume that the data that they're collecting from advertisers are pretty much the same. Sure. Um, and I think that's the number one thing people are looking at nowadays. They want to know that their, their money is being spent properly, that it's not going to ruin their brand reputation. And there's a lot of different programs out there that help, kind of help you do that. Sure. So I'm curious, though, how is kind of technology, for people that don't really understand, kind of making – the actual stats that you provide to your clients relevant? Like, is it because you can literally track every, you know, click through or view or, or, or what? Like, how does that kind of work for people that don't understand? Yeah. So, you know, you can pretty much track everything. Okay. Um, it's just, it's just a matter of, you know, if the advertiser, the publisher and the tracking system are willing to play together. I mean, there's, okay. you know, a lot of people that can pass, you know, information on the click and the conversion. Okay. And that's, you know, all sorts of data from the user agents, uh, the type of phone, the IP address, um, you know, down to a township. Um, so it collects a lot of information where even some other apps, you know, when partners could collect what apps you already have on your phone. So it's, although it's great for marketing and targeting, it's actually pretty scary to know that, you know, all this information is being passed to something that's that kind of insecure, that's not secure. Um, and that's a big that's a big uh, concern in the industry right now as well. No, that's interesting. Yeah, like that's the thing that I've always kind of found a, a little bit fascinating is like people seem so scared by some of this stuff, but mm-hmm. I keep telling them it's like this has been happening for decades, just in different forms. It's just getting better now, right? Like, 
You know, like right. I, I think the best example that I think majority of people can relate to is if all of a sudden in your mailbox one day, like if if you if you find out like you and your wife are having a, a child or like somebody or you're pregnant and you start getting like free samples of baby products or, you know, baby mm-hmm. food, it's because you are searching that online or you're using something, right? And then they know to send you physical stuff in the mail. And like some mm-hmm. people are always like, well, how does that happen? It's like, well, it's all online or your phone or like it's happening, right? And it's I, I, like I, I can see why people kind of get kind of maybe weirded out by some of that stuff, but it's not really any different. It's just a different way to collect information. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's the same tried and true cookie that can, you know, that's placed on your browser or um, in your system on your PC or Mac, whatever that kind of, you know, gets that going. It's just a matter of, you know, how it's being used, like you mentioned, and how accurate it is, is, is a big thing. You know, it's just, you know, more, it's, it's, it's amazing to see how much technology has grown from the web days to, to mobile and how much information is being collected off the mobile. Because back in the day, I mean, a web computer, it will tell you what IP address you're having, what, you know, what browser you're using, maybe your operating system. But now through mobile, it'll, it'll tell you like literally where you're standing you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. or, or what kind of phone you're deciding to use, what kind of operating system. And it's, it's, although it, it seems pretty scary um, it's just the way that technology is growing, and I think the advertising space has the best intentions for that. Sure. Well, and like, I don't know. I, I might. I, I don't think I'm in the min- minority here. Where I I love the convenience of some of that stuff, right? Like for me, oh, yeah. like if I can go somewhere and it pops up on my phone, like here's the menu or the hours, or you're using Google Maps to go somewhere. It's like uh, the place might be closed or or. When you get there, like, I like those little conveniences. And I I know that's not really necessarily, like, specifically advertising. But I I think people forget about the conveniences that some of this stuff does provide as well. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's, it's convenient for the users, but also for, like I mentioned, for advertisers, too. It just, it helps us kind of target better to a relevant audience. So you'll see something that you might want to see opposed to, you know, seeing something that you don't and then the advertiser will be you know know that they're targeting the right person to help them better serve the clients sure um, and i think if you look at it that way it's not so scary sure um and just like any other industry you know whether you buy a car or slide your credit card there's always chance of someone misusing it sure but um you know it's just the way the world works i suppose well but the other thing too i think is like a lot of times, a lot of this advertising stuff is like if they give you a coupon or a discount or, you know, I've, I've seen stuff where people do like geofencing stuff around like maybe their competitors. There was like a famous campaign in like South America, I think, where these guys geofenced um, their like shoe store competitor in a mall. And mm-hmm. if you walked within like if you came as you walked kind of into that store just before you walked in it would your app or your phone would send you a notification saying if you get to this other store and it would start counting down your discount from like basically you'd get it free to like 99% like off and it went down to zero like you could never get there within uh you know like 90% off but you'd get there maybe like 50 or 20% whatever right but it was mm-hmm. interesting just how 
you can actually use it to kind of almost like gamify or actually provide some real value to people, you know, just by letting some of this stuff happen, right? Right, absolutely. I think, you know, from advertisers and, and from guys like us, it's really important to to drive the content to the user to make sure that they're they're seeing something that they want to see that's relevant. Um, and that geofencing is a perfect idea. If they're walking toward a certain store, there's a good chance that they might walk into it. Why not present them with more options? Sure. Why not give them the ability to save some money, uh, even if it was with, with the competitor? You know, I, I and you know, I'm sorry for the other shoe store or for the other competitor, but sure. you know, the guys on the other side are, are using the brains. They're definitely um, you know, using their marketing tactics to make it work. Yeah, and I, well, I think at the end of the day, you kind of have to innovate no matter what space you're in, right? And I think absolutely just like, and I think your industry is kind of going through a huge kind of innovation kind of thing. You, you mentioned earlier that, you know, companies are kind of buying other companies or, or traditional agencies are buying other companies. Like, how walk us through kind of some of that transition. Sure. So, you know, a lot of these major world corporations or advertising agencies have some sort of division that does media buying. Um, you know, InOcean has their media buying units. Um, Horizon has their media buying units. And I think that's a big play right now because traditionally they were so far behind in terms of getting into the mobile digital advertising space sure. where they're reluctant because they couldn't, they felt like, oh, it wasn't something they could see. They don't understand the CPMs or they don't understand, you know, airtime. But now they're really they're really seeing that these advertisers want to be able to track what they're doing. They want to see the performance behind it, and you know they're building up their teams. Perfect example was uh, Dentsu who purchased Fetch, um, and I think it was a great buy uh, because you know Fetch is a, a strong team. They know what they're doing. They're looking at the data properly, and they're sure. protecting you know their clients that way. And they're having the big brand of Dentsu behind them. So um, that's a slowly what's going on in the industry where. These larger traditional agencies are looking to build their own teams or buy medium buying units or agencies or whatnot. And it's, it's, it, I think it's a good, good way to go. Now, that's interesting. So you don't have to name kind of clients, but do you want to kind of maybe give me and, and the listener kind of some examples of some types of campaigns that, that have kind of worked or consistently work? Like, like kind of walk us through kind of that stuff and you don't like i said you don't need to name like a, we did this for this company sure. but like how like what is you what do you guys kind of traditionally maybe start somebody off with and and maybe say like the vertical like if they're in software or they're mm -hmm. a mobile game or something like that sure so mobile gaming is probably the bread and butter of this industry mainly because uh, mobile gaming companies they continually spend they're they're right. constantly spending whether it's with one partner 50 partners they're constantly spending Okay. And so, you know, Tab does pretty well on that because we took, you know, some early adopters and we've collected data and worked with them and, and figured out that for the gaming industry, mainly hardcore, mid-core games, uh, we've done pretty well. We kind okay. of figured that out. Okay. Um, but we also have branding clients as well that we work with that are, you know, working off the CPA model. Um, and these are like, you know, very large internet streaming companies or they're very large... Um, you know, TV slash internet companies as well that kind of see a little bit differently. And they use the, um, a cost per subscription model where basically they pay on 
every time someone subscribes. Okay. Um, so there's, there's various ways that, um, partners pay and there's various ways that, um, we work with these partners based upon what they're looking for. Okay. No, that, that makes sense. So is there kind of a rough budget that people should kind of come to, to tab with or, or like, or does it really depend on what they're trying to do? Um, yeah, it depends on what they're trying to do. I mean, some of the partners, they, they'll pay off, for example, like a large amount of money per install. Okay. Um, and if, you know, if they have, for example, a thousand dollar budget, they're probably gonna get like, you know, like a few, maybe like in the twenties installs and it's not going right. to be enough data for them to kind of track the CR performance. Got you. Um, so, you know, we like to start off with 10,000, um, mainly okay. because it's a good number for us to collect enough data to better serve the client, but also in order for the client to see how they're, you know, how tab does for them. Yeah. Um, but you know, the client will know right away within the first 24 to 48 hours, um, if it's good or not. I mean, the marketers nowadays are extremely savvy. They're technologically advanced. And, you know, I give it up to them because I used to be on their side, but they, they definitely know what they're doing. They definitely can see if uh, you're trying to pull one over on them. So, yeah, yeah definitely that's the way. No, I, I 100% agree with you. It's interesting because you need a certain amount of data to kind of actually give you real results right to your point like mm -hmm. if you get 20 installs you're like well that doesn't tell you anything about anything really right like right so no that's interesting so i'm curious though you've kind of mentioned it throughout the show a little bit that you know you have kind of clients that sometimes go that are like constantly going but mm -hmm. i'm curious to know is it really kind of dependent on industry? Like it's probably um, when a gate a new game comes out, they they heavily kind of spend and then they might continue, or maybe they hit their targets and they kind of just like okay, well now we're launching another game, so maybe we'll we'll cut back the first game's budget a little bit because it's kind of rolling and people have heard of it, and then we'll we'll spend more on kind of the new game, or do they kind of consistently spend? the same for both games as they kind of launch new ones or, or how does that kind of work? Yeah. I mean, from my experience and from what I remember and, and dealing with a lot of clients, they launch games and if, if it doesn't work, if they don't hit their criteria within the first couple months, they pretty much kill the game. Kill it. Okay. Um, whether they have another game in the, in the background ready to, to spend or whether they have an existing one, um, it all varies, but typically like, you know, a successful gaming publisher will have one game. If it does well, they continue to spend just to keep that trajectory going. They may not spend as much, um, but they'll definitely spend to keep that pretty consistent. Um, with a new game, they'll do these burst campaigns where they spend all this money up front okay. and hopefully gain enough traction to bring organic users in to kind of expand on that. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of games that, that, they look great in the beginning and then fail miserably. So, you know, it's that a data play again where you collect the data, you figure things out, and then uh, they decide to spend there or not. Um, but to answer your question, there's, you know, there's so many ways that people spend. There's okay. continual spend. There's, you know, periodic spend. There's uh, bursting and staining. There's different avenues for sure. Okay. And then you guys would work with somebody to kind of decide 
what to try based on kind of whether they're just launching and they've been around for a while or, or whatever and anywhere kind of in between? Sure. So, I mean, we'll give us our, their best suggestions based upon um, what we've seen in our platform. Um, and we'll, we'll make suggestions, but it's ultimately up to them. Okay. Uh, we, we give them the data. They pretty much know how it looks. Um, and that pretty much sets a tone um, for, for their game and how much they can pay. Sure. Uh, you know, because, you know, I, I think one, th- one thing that people have realized is whenever there's a big gaming guy or a big, you know, spend in the market and they're willing to spend these high number of, uh, high number of dollars on the CPI, it destroys the market for everybody else. Right. Or it doesn't destroy it, but it, you have to keep up to get the same amount of impressions or, or clicks or looks or whatever it may be. And it just perpetuates that increasing price for, for CPI or for, for impressions. And so that pretty much helps determine how much they spend and how long they spend for. Okay. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see, or, and I, again, like I don't necessarily need you to like tell anything crazy, but where do you kind of see the platform going for you guys? Cause you guys do obviously a lot of kind of advertising and mobile stuff, but are you guys going to stick in that kind of space? Are you kind of adding some new stuff in, in 2018 or, or where do you kind of see the platform going? Sure. So, you know, we're building out tools constantly uh, for internal. Um, we want to do something external for, for our, you know, our user base to utilize, but we've realized that um, there's so many players out in the market doing the same thing. Okay. So we're going to start to keep the traditional way and maybe introduce some tools for our users. Okay. However, um, Internally, we're building out new optimization tools, uh, fraud analytics tools, um, building, trying to build out, you know, some more uh, data processing units like another, D, like a DMP or SSP. We're constantly building um, toward that full stack okay. in order for us to have, you know, have full transparency and to pass it on to our partners. No, that's interesting, right? Because the the data kind of doesn't lie and I get that you can kind of interpret data and skew it sometimes but it's really hard for somebody to argue if you're like we got you a thousand installs or or whatever that number is right like and here's where the sources all came from right and if you have that data then you know it's up to them to decide what they want to potentially do with that data or keep going or not or, or whatever but I think that's actually really kind of innovative in itself because even I find sometimes with where this show kind of airs, like sometimes the numbers they give you on some stuff is like not can be really accurate or kind of somewhere way out in left field. And it's kind of up to you to do your own kind of, you know, like work and analytics and, and to try to figure that out. Right. Where somebody like you guys, if you could say, like, I got you a thousand installs or 10,000 installs and here's where they're all from. And I just show that to the CEO or whatever, who, or whoever makes the decision. You're just like, yeah, that's like, how do you argue with that? Right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, mind you, there are ways to trick the system, but from our point, point of view, it's like, we'll give you as much data as you want. You can set as many benchmarks as you want. You can set in as many uh, restrictions as you want. And we'll, we'll gladly abide by them. I mean, you know, one of the things that always comes up, um, this industry is what they call CTIT or click to install time. Okay. And we always tell our, our, you know, our advertisers, Hey, if it's not us, if it's somebody else, make sure that you send minimum requirements, um, make sure that you can send restrictions, 
and we'll follow them. And if no and, and if another partner doesn't, I would probably pull away from them and try to go to someone that's willing to do that for you because there's a lot of us in the market. And um, the ones that are willing to do that are probably the ones that you want to keep around. So, no, no, I 100% agree. So you can tell, like your platform will tell me how long it took for somebody to install the app on their phone or game on their phone. Is that fair? So, yeah. So most attribution partners, um, they'll, they'll give you that information from the okay. to the install. Um, so oh, okay. you'll see if it takes, you know, if you just like, for example, see a banner and you click on it and you go to the store and install it. Yeah. If it's five seconds and there's something definitely wrong, it could be a bot. It could be something fraudulent because Got you. the human cannot click and, and install the app right. that quickly. Right. 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 Um, where, where, you know, if you set certain time frames, you can say, you know, for example, we can, in our system, we can set that there has to be a minimum of this and any install that kind of squeaks through, we just, we disregard, even though it, it, install happens, we just tell them you don't have to pay for that. You only have to pay for the ones that you, you want based upon the restrictions that you set ahead of time. Okay. Um, so Interesting. that all comes from the attribution tracking system. <clears throat> so they see it and we see it. Got you. Okay. No, that's, that's actually quite fascinating, right? Because you're right. Like if, or, or especially if the games like, I don't know, a hundred meg or something like so, which mm -hmm. can happen that obviously it's not going to, it's going to take maybe a minute or two to get that maybe a bit longer, depending on where they are, if they're on cellular data or on Wi-Fi or whatnot. Right. That's actually quite Absolutely. fascinating. Yeah. So I'm curious to maybe dive a little bit deeper into some of that. How, like, is there any other kind of rules that people can kind of set up, you know, in, in your platform that allow people kind of that much kind of data? Sure. So, you know, we tell all our advertisers um, pretty much the same thing. And, and this is for anybody that does UA or getting to UA. Um, if they don't pass you the information, if you can't see the information, just set the restrictions. Um, okay. The good thing about the, uh, the attribution tracking system is they're really there to protect the advertiser. They're right. there to give the advertiser enough data to make their own decisions. Um, there's a lot of, you know, you know, attribution partners that um, even do the work for you and, and, and reject certain installs or they'll tell you that it looks suspicious. Okay. And then you can make the ultimate determination or dig deeper into it to see if that's correct or, or incorrect. Okay. Um, Interesting. But, but I, I think, you know, for any UA person, you know, setting click to install times, setting um, click caps, um, you know, minimums conversion percentages, will help kind of thwart potential fraud. And I think that's really important moving forward for everybody. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I, I think as the industry kind of gets better and, and more tools and stuff and more data come in, the actual fraud is going it, it to, well, it will probably never go away 100%, but it'll probably be as close to zero as it's ever been, right? At least in, in kind of sure. the online advertising space. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of, um, you know, the big topic nowadays is fraud and how to combat fraud. There's all these programs and certifications for people to verify and, and you know, ingest data to make sure that they're being legitimate. Right. Um, and as, you know, with all the shakeup that's going on, it's changed the advertising space. There's a lot of smaller, you know, ad networks or affiliates that are dropping off because they can't keep up um, because of the changes. And there's guys like a tab, which is, you know, basically... Um, just growing mainly because um, we know that those pitfalls are occur. 
Sure. Um, so that's a good thing because there it definitely is a shakeup in the industry, and it's uh, it's kind of paving the way for uh, for everybody to kind of start playing even, so to speak. Right. So, do you guys have any plans ever to kind of move your technology back into kind of the physical world with something kind of like a billboard or or kind of the physical space, or is it really too challenging to actually kind of track some of that stuff? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, there's a lot of players that say they can track it. However, um, unless it's OTT, uh, it's really difficult. Um, but what I see nowadays, especially since mobile is predominantly the, the medium that people want to go to, it's always going to be within that space of mobile. Um, you can track it. You can collect information. Where billboards, you know, as you know, back in the day, they used to have this little rubber strip on the street right. to see how many cars were passing by to get an idea if the, the billboard was effective or not. But you can never truly track how it's doing. Sure. So I don't really see a, a slowdown from the mobile space and going back to billboard. Uh, I, I just don't see it happening. Okay. But can you use the mobile phone to track how many people drive by a certain billboard on like a busy street or is that not really there yet or maybe it'll never be there no that's not there yet i mean what what i mean by that is the mobile phone will always be able to collect more information than a billboard would ah uh, okay i see what you mean right. yeah got you okay right where, where it's it's always going to be you know you can collect more information you can collect more data um, and you can kind of validate if something happened or not. Where, as I said, mobile and billboards, you get branding. You get people look at it and say, "Oh, I'm interested." Sure. But they'll always visit a website. They'll yeah, always, you okay. know, install an app to make sure. And that that definitely is more valuable, I think, at the moment. No, I 100% agree because I, I guess it doesn't really matter if I'm driving down, say, Sunset, and I see a ad for a I don't know, like a purse or something. Um, I'm not the target market for that, right? Unless I guess I'm buying for my wife. But like, <laughs> yeah. right? But like, you could send me a more targeted ad, you know, while I'm browsing the internet on my phone or computer than, um, you know, me just driving by a billboard. No, that makes a lot of sense. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's kind of a huge change kind of in the industry where I think kind of the physical world, not saying it will disappear, but people are going to spend more money targeting online because they know they can say like, I want, you know, males or females in this range that are interested in this, in this location or, or wherever, right? Where you're never right. going to get that from like a physical advertising. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's the best thing about performance marketing or, or, you know, online marketing is, or mobile marketing is you get to see, you know, like I said, user agent, which is like the phone that you buy. And right. there's going to be a different, you know, a cricket wireless user is going to be way different than like, you know, a, a Verizon user, so to speak, where, you know, just the buying power and disparity of the people, it, it just, you know, based on the phone makes a huge difference. And that's really critical for advertising. Sure. Um, more than any billboard, I, I think. No, I 100% agree with you. I, I am curious, though, to get your thoughts on, I, I know it's kind of been historically, um, I've heard anyway, and tell me if I'm wrong, that kind of iPhone users are kind of considered like the most kind of high-end kind of data and kind of Android and, and any other kind of phone. Well, there's not really any other phone at this point, but you know what I mean? Um, it's kind of those two, but like, you know, Apple's kind of the, the premium data and then kind of Android and everybody else is kind of secondary. 
is that mm -hmm. kind of still the same or is Android kind of on par with the iPhone now or, or how do you feel about that in your experience? You know, it's that's funny you should ask. We had this discussion just uh, a couple uh, a couple hours ago, but okay, um, uh, yeah, the iPhone user generally is a more targeted uh, user, and you know, it's mainly because the pe people that buy it. Um, it's the cost of the phone. You know, you have to buy an iPhone opposed to getting one for free, right? Or you have to sign a contract for X amount of years opposed to get one for free. Sure. Um, also, you know, the I guess the gender is huge as well. I mean, there's more buying power for women and women prefer to use the iPhone opposed to an Android. Sure. Um, so from the branding perspective, definitely so, but from the gaming perspective, it's actually opposite. Where, oh, interesting. Yeah. So a lot of the Android hardcore users are Android based. So, um, you know, a lot of guys in Asia that use Android opposed to iOS, um, is, is, is huge. And mainly because, you know, I guess the Android system dominated in Asia right. um, a lot more than the iOS system did. Um, so that played a huge part, and you can thank Samsung for that. So Yeah, fair. Because even I think in, in South America, like, Samsung's, like, just dominates compared to, like, Apple's almost, like, people are like, what is that phone? Where, like, right. it, it's the reverse in, in North America, right? Like, people are like, what phone is that? Like, how come that's not an iPhone, right? And if, I'm an Android right. user, and I have an iPhone too, but, like, so I, I understand that kind of, but it's just interesting how certain parts of the world, like, you wouldn't target an iPhone user unless you want specific thing and, and vice versa. You wouldn't target Android if in certain parts of the world because it just doesn't exist, really, right? Right, right, right. I mean, perfect example is, you know, the geo plays a huge part. Um, perfect example is China. Everybody wants to go to China and okay. market there. And, you know, the success with a billion people would be in China. However, you know, because of the, so many like different uh, platforms and markets is Tencent. Google is like practically non, uh, not really there yet. Right. There's all these different platforms and, you know, they use Android, but they can't make traction. However, right. like in China, you can use iPhone and Target pretty well. And you know you can get some traction there because it's it's a single market. It's all owned by Apple, and you know no one has no one can build their own uh, I guess market around that. So it, it really depends on the geo, um, the income class levels, what's free, what's not, and like you, you mentioned, iPhone is you know predominant in the U.S., probably U.K. and parts of Europe, where in Asia it's just pretty much all about uh, Android. Interesting, and and I I think the other thing too is even in, in some in kind of the emerging markets, you know, at, I think Android and Google's done a lot better job at building phones for those kind of markets, right? Like Google has the the one phone and, and other people and are, are kind of playing in that space where Apple hasn't really focused on that. And some people might crucify me for saying that, but like, in, in my opinion, they really haven't focused on building anything other than like a hot, like high-end hardware. Right, right. I mean, it, it's very typical of Apple where, you know, they target a certain type of user. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I love my MacBook. I mean, I'll, I'll never part with it. Um, I'll never sure. go back to PC. However, sure. you know, it's like when it comes to certain things like phones or whatnot, it's, that's something that, um, you know, you use as a daily convenience. And yeah. guys in India or these emerging markets like we've discussed just don't have the money to do that. Sure. Um, you know, where Android pretty much had an open Android software where anybody could use it, and it's gotten them a lot of traction. Yeah. It's gotten them 
a lot of market uh, share in the space in the world, actually. Yeah, and and to be fair, you can run Android without the Google stuff. Like if you run, <clears throat> this is going to get really nerdy, but just I'm I'm trying to get people <laughs> to think about it. Like you can, if you install a custom ROM that wasn't built by Google, it was like you and I could release a custom ROM and we could call it, you know, Tabs Android or whatever we call it, right? Um, right. And you have to actually side load, like you have, you install the OS and then you have to actually install the Google apps from a separate zip file, right? So you mm-hmm. can actually run Android without Google, which I don't think a lot of people understand what that really kind of means, right? So you don't even need Google to run Android, which is kind of a weird concept. It Right, right. So some of those markets actually don't run some of the Google stuff on their weird versions of Android. And I shouldn't say weird, but like, I mean weird in the sense of uh, like, they're not really Google Android, right? Like it's, Android's obviously right. built by Google, but they're not really running like Gmail or the Play Store or all that stuff, which I think a lot of people don't know or, or consider in some of these markets. Sure. I mean, it's, it's not just, you know, different markets, it's actually the U.S. as well. It's like, sure. you know, perfect example is the Amazon Fire. Yeah, um, totally. That's Google-based. I mean, that's an Android-based system. However, they made it their own. Yeah. And they, you know, they started marketing it. Um, you know, BlackBerry is another company that's trying to do that as well. Yeah. I mean, they're far in between gone, but at this point, yeah, but, fair. you know, it, but it's 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 good for a lot of emerging markets because you know Google's not present there or they don't have the payment system, so they release these ROMs or APKs where you know you can get involved and you can still use and and play uh, games or or use products. So that's what's amazing about Google. Where iOS, you know, it's a great product. I, I don't knock it. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, it's just very closed and sure. it's specifically made for Apple users. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree, but sadly, we're kind of coming to the end of the show, so let's maybe close with where people can get more information about Tab and any other kind of social media links you want to mention. Sure, absolutely. So um, you can find us at tab.company. Um, that's our website. You can see you know what we do about us, uh, the product that we have, and who we work with. Um, and also, you can visit us on our Facebook site. Uh, there's plenty of pictures about the culture of tab. Uh, we have this great series called life of tab that highlights our employees and, and what they like about it. Um, but also, you know, we've got LinkedIn, which is probably the primary for the business world. And, um, sure. please feel free to hit any of us up, you know, email us, Skype us. We'll be more than happy to answer any questions or concerns or comments. And, uh, we encourage and welcome it. No, I, I hundred percent agree. And if I remember correctly, I think you and I connected originally on LinkedIn. Right, right. So, like, great tool. You know, I, I reached out to you and was like, "Hey, I like what you're doing. Let's are you interested in doing the show?" And obviously, we're doing the show. So, I like it. <laughs> it does work, right? To your point a second ago, right. I, I think that's a really good tool. But Scott, I, I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man. Great, thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Also check us out on Facebook at Building the Future Show and follow us on Twitter at Building Show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.